بسم الله بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وله أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته How's everybody doing? Alhamdulillah. طيب. So today, inshallah ta'ala, we are covering a hadith which is short and yet very, very powerful. Uh, hopefully by the end of it, you'll see exactly what I mean by that. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu says, this is in Sahih Bukhari, uh, the Prophet says, إِنَّ مِمَّا أَدْرَكَ النَّاسُ مِنْ كَلَامٍ نُبُوَّةِ إِذَا لَمْ تَسْتَحِي فَاصْنَعْ مَا شِئْتِ Which means, from that which the people have retained from the Prophet's of old, the, 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 the sayings of old from the prophets. If you don't feel ashamed, then do whatever you like. So, clearly this hadith has two portions. The first portion being the Prophet introducing it, saying this is something that we have learned from long ago. This is something that, this is from the, 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 the statements and from the kalam and from the teachings of prophets throughout history. Now, what does this mean? This means that since it was taught to all nations by all prophets, it's a universal principle. Therefore, modesty in all circumstances, in all times and in places, is good. That's what we're learning from this. Because obviously, you know, if, if certain societies, uh, you know, they had a certain context where that wasn't necessary. You know, and this happens sometimes that certain prophets come to a very specific context and they have to give rulings for those specific circumstances. And that's what fuqaha do all the time. Uh, you know, the, the mufti has to take into consideration his circumstances and then he gives an answer, right? But it seems to be the case that all of the Anbiya, and in all times, they always taught this, which means what? doesn't matter what the context is. Modesty is always good, subhanAllah. So this sort of introductory statement is very, very powerful uh, from that perspective. Then the, go- the hadith goes on to say what? That this, the statement is what? إِذَا لَمْ تَسْتَحِي فَاصْنَعْ مَا شِئْتَ That uh, if you do not feel uh, shy, then do whatever you want. Now what's interesting is that there's multiple ways to understand this statement. Uh, let's go through as all of them, inshallah ta'ala. So, one way you can understand this is as a threat. It's a threat. In other words, it's as if the Prophet is saying, if you've desensitized your conscience to the point that it has gone completely numb, then you'll fall into every evil and find out the negative consequences of your actions firsthand. So, go ahead and learn the hard way. You know, you don't feel any shame, go ahead, it's a threat. Do whatever you want. You know why? Because... The worst is going to happen to you. And this is actually similar to the ayah in which Allah Ta'ala says in uh, Surah uh, Fusilat, Allah Ta'ala says what? I'malu ma shi'tum. Do whatever you will. And this is the context, if you look at this ayah, Allah Subh'anaHu Ta'ala is talking about those who deviate from the ayat of Allah. This is uh, Surah 41, ayah number 40. Allah is talking about the disbelievers, and then Allah says to them as a threat, I'malu ma shi'tum. Do whatever you want. You know? This, doesn't, this isn't giving them permission, making it halal. This is rather saying, go ahead and be as evil as you want. Why? So you can, fit, you can taste the uh, uh, evil consequences firsthand. Now, the second interpretation is that it is a statement of fact. In other words, it's saying that if a person doesn't have shame, he will do whatever he wants. Like, that's just a, it's just a fact. It's, just, it's not a threat. It's just, I'm just saying. The fact of the matter is what? That if you don't feel any shame, then there's nothing holding you back. There's no nafs uh, al that's holding you back and blaming you and telling you, reproaching you and holding you back. So you'll just do anything. You'll do everything uh, no matter what. The third way of interpreting it is that this is a statement of despair. A statement of despair. In other words, it's as if the Prophet is saying, and all the Anbiya are saying what? If you've lost your modesty, then that means you're in such bad shape that it can't get any worse. So do whatever you want, it won't make a difference. Like, there's just, it's just despair. Like, look, you can do whatever. You, you've lost all modesty, you have no sense of shame whatsoever, and therefore, do whatever. It doesn't make a difference because it can't get any worse. You've hit rock bottom. And subhanAllah, uh, 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 this is... 
scary. It's scary that I find that, subhanAllah, we live in a society where you find that actors are held to the highest esteem. Like, you know, being an actor, it's like, you know, let's watch their interviews and let's see what they have to say and, you know, let's get their opinions. And being an actor is considered the highest sort of goal in life for many people. And what's scary about that is that an actor is essentially somebody who has been uh, professionally trained to destroy their modesty so they, they will do anything that they're told to do. Right, like they're, they're they're basically like the paintbrush and the and the, and, the, and the director. That's the one who's actually holding the brush, and they're basically saying, "Listen, I'll do whatever, whatever you paint me, whatever art you want to make with me, I'll do it. You want me to stand like this? You want me to stand like that? I'll do it. You want me to do this horrible act? This horrible act? I'll do it. I'm trained to have no modesty whatsoever. I'm trained to do whatever I'm told to do. And we take this person and say, "Oh wow, see the guy who has no modesty? He'll do anything for money." By the way, there are people who will do anything for money. We know who those people are, and usually that's not considered a, a, a high aspiration. And you can see the parallels between, you know, uh, what I'm talking about and actors. So subhanAllah, the idea is what? That it's very, there's a, there's a clear connection here. And yet these people are held in such high esteem. SubhanAllah, we really have to question who we put in high esteem. SubhanAllah. Another interpretation is what? That this statement is saying, it's giving permission. And this is a really beautiful interpretation because all the previous ones were very negative. And this one's actually very positive. It's saying what? If you're about to do something, let's say you're uh, just about to embark on any action, doesn't matter what it is, and you feel no shame in it then guess what? It's probably fine. It's probably halal, right? If you don't feel your heart telling you this is terrible, if you don't feel your heart objecting to it, then there's a good chance that there's nothing evil about it, right? And so, subhanAllah, it's as if saying that on the flip side, deep down, if you're about to do something and there's something in the back of your head, there's some sort of little you know, voice saying this is a bad idea or is somebody watching or maybe I shouldn't be doing this. If there's some sort of guilty feeling, chances are what? It's obviously, uh, it's probably haram, it's probably wrong. And this is very similar to the hadith in Sahih Muslim. The Prophet says what? Al-ithmu ma haka fi sadrika wa karihta an yattari'a alayhi nas That the Prophet says that sin is what persistently troubles your heart and that you dislike that other people find out about it. So anything that sort of gnaws away, it's like a, you know, like a splinter in your heart that just keeps on giving you that little irritation. That's kind of like... You know, that's, that's what sin is. It's something that you've done that you know you feel bad about. No matter how much you try over and over again to justify it in your head that it wasn't that bad, it wasn't that bad, and, and, I, and I was angry, and I had the right to be angry, and I was really tired, and they should have been more understanding, and you know, it's not my fault. And you keep telling yourself that. Why? Because the gnawing frustration won't go away saying what? You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have got upset. You shouldn't have been rude. You shouldn't have insulted. You shouldn't have, etc. Right? So, subhanAllah, this, this gnawing feeling is your conscience, your nafs al-lawama telling you you should have stopped. And also that you're ashamed that people find out about it. So if you're doing something by yourself, and then you hear the door opening, and you're like, oh, and you get startled, like you don't want somebody to see it, then clearly you deep down know. And so pretending that it's not haram when you know uh, you're ashamed of it, clearly uh, shows where your subconscious uh, is. Also, the Prophet says, "What? What? Uh, minka fala That this is in Sahih Ibn Hibban, and it's also considered Hassan by Al Albani in Sahih Al Jami'. The Prophet says, "What? Whatever you'd hate to have people see you doing, don't do it when you're alone." Simple, very straightforward hadith. Now, um, it's interesting that when it comes to the question of modesty, modesty actually is a defining characteristic of humanity. There's lots of different creatures on this planet. Only one of them wears clothes. Who's that? The human being, right? Animals don't feel any sense of modesty. They don't feel any sense of shame. They don't feel like they need to cover up, right? So it's a, it, basically you're a human being. Having a sense of modesty and shame is to be human. And therefore, you know, ipso facto, if you feel no modesty, then what? You've lost your humanity. That's uh, therefore the, the, the concept. And this is uh, quite beautiful that Allah Ta'ala says what? Ya Bani Adam, قَدْ أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ لِبَاسًا يُوَارِي سَوْآتِكُمْ 
warishan Allah Ta'ala says in Surah Al-A'raf that, O children of Adam, we have bestowed upon you clothing to conceal your private parts and as an adornment for you. But the clothing of taqwa, that is what's best. And so uh, Al-Hasan al-Basri, rahimahullah, when he looks into this ayah, he says what? Libas al-taqwa yani al-hayab. Libas al-taqwa is modesty. So this is the idea. And, and, and I think it's really important to always differentiate between you know, what is known as the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, right? This is a common discussion people have about what is the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. So I'll give you a simple example. Let's say you're trying to teach a kid how to drive, right? And he's about to get his license. And so there's two ways of going about encouraging him to obey the rules. You could go into detail explaining, this is the speed limit, don't go past it. You know, uh, this is, you know, uh, and if you do, you can get this much of a fine, this much of a ticket, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, make sure you stop at this red light and this stop sign and so on and so forth. And you're explaining the letter of the law, all the details of each and every single law. Or you could simply say to him, or you could explain to him the spirit of it. What is the concept here? You could start talking to him about, do you know how much it costs to get even a fender bender? Do you know how bad it is to get a scratch on your car, then you have to go, do you know how much of a day you have to spend your whole day going to the shop and getting it fixed and going back and forth, it costs a lot of money. Do you understand this? Do you understand if you hurt somebody, it'll be on your conscience for the rest of your life? Do you understand if somebody gets injured or somebody gets killed because of your negligence? Do you know how terrible that can be? You're just a little bit late and you're like, oh, I'll just kind of go quickly through this uh, intersection and then somebody's life is gone. You have to carry that on your conscience for your whole life. So now, you understand the two different approaches, right? One is this, the, the letter of the law, explaining all the technical details. The other one is the spirit, why, why it exists, right? And so, subhanAllah, this is something that needs to be, I mean, obviously, you want to, you want to have both. You want to understand the spirit of it and then obey the letter of the law. You want to know both, inshallah, that's the best. Uh, have both worlds. And that's the same thing when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to the fiqh of how we dress ourselves. Yes, there's the technical, okay, this is aura, this is aura, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's the technical, it shouldn't be too tight, it shouldn't be see-through, it shouldn't be, uh, uh, you know, uh, so flashy because you're trying to show off and get attention and so on and so forth. These are so, the sort of fiqh points that you could put in a list. And you could give it to your kid and say, this is how you should uh, deal with clothing and, and your appearance and so on and so forth. But all you've given them is a, is a, is a list of rules. But the spirit of the law is what? Haya, having modesty. And if you can explain that, then inshallah, all the rules will be so much easier bi-ithnillahi ta'ala. And that's exactly what Allah Ta'ala says. What? وَلِبَاسُ التَّقْوَى ذَلِكَ خَيْرٍ And the, 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 the uh, لِبَاسُ التَّقْوَى, the clothing or the covering or the garment of God consciousness and God-fearing, that is the best. Yes. So, modesty is such an important thing because, subhanAllah, all of us are able to get Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy so long as we have a sense of hayat. Listen to this hadith, subhanAllah, this isn't motivating to you, I don't know what is. كُلُّ أُمَّتِي مُعَافًا إِلَّا الْمُجَاهِرِينَ All of the sins of my ummah, they are, they will be mu'afan, they will be overlooked and forgiven, they'll be pardoned. Except for those who, what? Are, do jahr, they, they, they publicize, except for the publicizers, except for the people who love to publicize their sins, whether it be on social media, whether it be talking to your friends and bragging, whether it be of taking pictures of what you're doing and sending it to the whole world, etc. I mean, you get the point. The hadith goes on. وَإِنَّ مِنَ الْمَجَانَةِ أَنْ يَعْمَلَ الرَّجُلُ بِاللَّيْلِ عَمَلًا ثُمَّ يُصْبِحَ وَقَدَ سَتَرَهُ اللَّهُ فَيَقُولْ يَا فُلَانَ عَمِلْتُ الْبَارِحَ كَذَا وَكَذَا وَقَدَ بَاتَ يَسْتُرُهُ رَبُّهُ وَيُصْبِحُ يَكْشِفُ سِتْرَ اللَّهِ عَنْهُ SubhanAllah That the example of such a person, uh, of such a disclosure, is that a person, a person would commit a sin by night. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala screened him from the public. 
And unfortunately, it's a reality, but it's, it is what it is. We are human beings, we're fallible, and we probably make lots of mistakes and do lots of wrong things when nobody's looking. We're humans. So what is the hadith saying? It's not saying, oh, you did something when you were by yourself, you're going to hell. Because then we'd be like, subhanAllah, I'm, I'm, I'm done, right? Instead, the hadith says what? Allah spent the whole night covering for you. You were never exposed. You were always covered the entire night. That whatever you were doing, Allah Ta'ala covered it for you. So, Allah screens you from the public. Then this person comes in the morning and says, Oh, so-and-so, hey buddy, talking to a friend or whatever, I did such and such evil deed last night. SubhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala gave you cover the entire night. You wake up in the morning. Now you've come back to your senses. You know, it's a new day, fresh start. You can think with a clear head. Maybe you got excited. Maybe you got, I don't know, uh, you know, confused. Maybe your uh, passions overtook you during the nighttime. Whatever the case is, you did what you did. But now you got a good night's rest. You woke up in the morning. It's a new day, start, uh, a fresh start. You know, you can, you can make istighfar and try better again today. Instead, what? Let me go and take the covering that Allah gave me and completely shred it up. Subhanallah al-Azim. So yes, though he spent his night screened by his Lord, and in the morning he removed Allah's screen from himself. Yakshifu sitrallahi anhu. He just removes it from himself. Subhanallah. This is so dangerous because modesty can be, can, get, can be lacking in such a person that it gets to a point where they don't care what anybody else thinks. It can get to a point where you don't care what you, you yourself think. There are people who are so lacking in modesty that they even hate themselves, but they say, I don't care. I know what I'm doing is horrible. I know that I'm, a, uh, I'm an ugly person on the inside. I know that everything I do is, is horrendous, but I've given up on myself. SubhanAllah. Now, it's important to differentiate haya, which means, and by the way, SubhanAllah, the word haya is so beautiful. Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he says that the reason why the word haya is with a, with a hamza at the end, means modesty, is because it's so closely linked to the word hayat, with a tamarbut at the end. Why? Because if you have modesty, that means your, your heart is alive. And also, if you have no modesty, that means you have a dead heart. You have no hayat in your qalb, in your heart. SubhanAllah. So this is, so basically modesty, that is demonstration of your heart being alive and having iman within it. SubhanAllah. Now, when it comes to this word hayat, it should be differentiated from the word khajal. Uh, 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 what does khajal mean or khajul, you know? It means to be timid, to be shy in sort of a different way. What is the difference between these two? I mean, in English, you might see shyness or timidness or whatever. You might see them as synonymous. But there is a difference in Arabic between haya and khajal. The difference is this, that a person who is khajal, being timid, means that you have a deficiency, as if you're, you know you're supposed to speak up for the truth. You know what you're seeing is wrong in front of you. You know that what, you're, what, what, what is in front of you is bad and you should say the truth. But because you're too shy to stand up for the truth, and you say, oh, this is haya. No, that's khajal. You're khajul. You're being, you're being, you're being timid. You're being uh, afraid. You know? And that, you can't claim this is haya. This is modesty. Wrong. Modesty is when you, when you are uh, calm and shy for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. So the Prophet says exactly in this regard, Allah, la yamna'anna rajulan that the Prophet says in Sunan Ibn Majah, and it is a Sahih hadith, indeed, the fear of people should not prevent a man from speaking the truth if he knows it. Don't ever say to yourself, oh, I would have spoken the truth, but I'm too, I have too much haya, wrong. You have too much khajal. You're too timid, but that's not haya. Does everyone understand the difference? Is that clear? Good stuff, alhamdulillah. So the hadith is very clear about this. The Prophet says what? Al-imanu bid'un. It's an amazing hadith. That Iman itself has 70 or 60 odd branches. 
And the most excellent of which is the declaration of la ilaha illallah. This is straightforward. Obviously, tawheed, number one, very clear. And the lowest of which is just to remove something harmful from the path. Why? Just being the least decent to not harm your fellow human being. So now we know the top, and now we know the bottom. At least care enough to, 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 to remove a, harm, a hardship, harm from the path, uh, from your uh, you know, neighbors and friends and so forth, and definitely have la ilaha illallah. This is sort of the range. And then yet, the Prophet says something very interesting. And just adds right after that, وَالْحَيَاءُ شُعْمَةٌ مِنَ iman And haya and modesty is a branch of faith. You have to wonder to yourself, why did you, I mean, if there's 60, 70 odd something branches, you told us the highest, you told us the lowest, why would you just say, oh, and by the way, haya is one of the branches. Haya is very important. Why would you highlight that one? Why not highlight anything else? I mean, if there's 60 or 70 of them, you could have pointed at anything. Why would you highlight that particular one? Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. It seems to be the case, and most scholars interpreted this to mean what? That after mentioning all the various branches and mentioning this entire range, the reason why the Prophet uh, 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 specifies and singles out haya is because haya supports everything else. It's, it's a support to all other concepts of faith. Why? Because if you have modesty with Allah, then you will be shy not to do your obligations, and you will be shy to do things that are haram in private. And you should be especially shy to use Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings against Allah ta'ala's Sharia and deen. If you know that you were just blessed with a lot of wealth and you're so grateful to Allah that Allah gave you so much wealth, the first thing you should, should not be doing is what? Let me gather that wealth and spend it at haram. Subhanallah. This, we should at least have some shyness before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Also, shyness in front of people results in good manners and decency and it prevents shameless behavior. Now, I want to go through several short hadith that are so beautiful to really highlight just how central and how important the concept of modesty is in Islam. The Prophet says what? Al-haya'u khayrun kulluh or al-haya'u kulluhu khayr. This is the, the hadith that modesty is a virtue through and through or he said that modesty is nothing but goodness. Furthermore, the Prophet says what? Ma kana al-fuhshu fi shay'in illa shanahu wa ma kana al-haya'u fi shay'in illa zanahu That shamelessness is not present in anything except that it disgraces it. And modesty is not present in anything except that it beautifies it. Subhanallah. That subhanallah, modesty is your something that gets you to paradise. Al-haya'u min al-iman wal-imanu fil jannah wal-badha'u min al-jafa'i wal-jafa'u fil nar That modesty is part of faith and faith will be in paradise. And obscene speech is part of harshness and harshness is in hellfire. Subhanallah. Also, we know that the Prophet said uh, that, uh, that, the, that, uh, that Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, عنه, he described the Prophet saying, saying what? Can the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam ashadda uh, haya'an min al-adra'i fi khidriha? That the Prophet, the Prophet was more shy than the veiled virgin girl in her home. Now, this hadith implies that there once upon a time was young girls who lived in very sheltered lifestyles and this was a great symbol of shyness. And uh, it's very sad that this even concept is eroding in our society, that even the girl in her room, she has her phone and she, so she could do everything. Subhanallah. But there once was a time where this was the pinnacle, where this was considered the pinnacle of shyness. Subhanallah. And this is, this is how they were describing it. The Prophet had this level of modesty. But again, this doesn't mean that this prevented him from speaking the truth because this is not khajal. إن موسى كان رجلا حييا ستيرا لا يرى من جلده شيء استحياء منه. That Musa السلام, was a shy person and used to cover his body completely because of his, because of his extensive shyness. How incredibly beautiful is the fact that Musa السلام, is singled out in this hadith of the Prophet السلام, that he had specific shyness and that we know that what? That the only story of marriage from beginning to end in the Quran of two believers is the story of Musa and his wife. 
when he met her, how they met, right? You know, he was, you know, inni faqir, you know, saying, oh Allah, you know, I'm, I have nothing. And he was so, he was so feeling weak. And then he tries to help out. And then she says, you know, my father would like to give you a reward. And then, etc. We, we, we see how he has a conversation with the father. We see how the father understands the, the girl when she says he's qawiyun amin. He's like, I got you. I understand what you're saying. He's strong and he's, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's trustworthy. I want you to marry my daughter. And so they make a deal. This whole process of de- de- deciding the mahar and uh, talking to the father, this entire story is the only time we see a marriage story in the Qur'an. And so it's clearly it has a lot of weight and importance. And the quality that we find out about this wife of Musa a.s. is what? فَجَاءَتْهُ إِحْدَاهُمَا تَمْشِي عَلَىٰ إِسْتِحْيَاءٍ Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have highlighted any fact. Did Allah Ta'ala talk about her height or her this or her, I don't know, or you know, I don't know, some random, what, what was she wearing and what did her this, that? Nothing. None of these irrelevant details. Allah Ta'ala zooms the camera in on one fact. What? That one of the two of them, when he came walking, she came walking with shyness. She came shyly. How beautiful. The Prophet is saying, Musa is so shy. And now the one that he finds to marry, look at the compatibility. Al-Mukafa'ah, right? Al-Mukafa'ah. You find compatibility between them, subhanAllah. You see the correlation, it's really quite amazing. And what does it mean? Tamshi ala stihya'in. One implication is that she came walking in a shy manner. And another implication is that she came walking ala, yani despite, against her shyness. So one of them saying that she came in a shy way. Another one said she was shy, but she overcame it and she wanted to and she had to speak to. So there's two ways of looking at this ayah. If you look at surah, oh, and one more, one more uh, hadith. That is uh, so, so, uh, two, two more hadith that are short and very powerful. One is what? لِكُلِّ دِينٍ خُلُقٌ وَخُلُقُ الْإِسْلَامِ الْحَيَاءُ This one should knock you off your feet. SubhanAllah. The Prophet says, is in Muwatta uh, Imam Malik, authentic hadith. The Prophet says what? Every religion has an innate characteristic. لِكُلِّ دِينٍ خُلُقٌ Every single religion, you look at them and you say, this is their quality. This is their defining characteristic. Wa خُلُقُ الْإِسْلَامِ الْحَيَاءُ And the defining characteristic of Islam is what? Oh, well, every time I think of the Muslims, I think of the Adhan. Nope, that's not it. Every time I think of the Muslims, I think of them, I get the image of them lined up and doing the prayer. That's not it. Oh yeah, that's the one they, they fast for a month, right? Yeah, that's the image I get. That's not it. What is the image of Islam? What's that one characteristic that always pops into the mind? The Prophet is saying is what? The Prophet, the Prophet is saying what? That the characteristic that is, should be the first thing. It's the, the, the defining characteristic of a, of a believer, of the Muslims, is what? That when you think of Islam, you think of modesty. Subhanallah. That is your defining feature. F- to the point that modesty is a measure of a person's faith. Al-hayau wal-imanu qurina jami'an. That faith and modesty are bound together. They're together. Wa ahaduhuma al-akhar. That one, when one of them gets, go, uh, raised, gets raised up, the other one goes with it. They, can't, they, they move together. This, this is why it's called hayat. Because it's hayatun. If, you're, if, the, if, the, if the modesty goes up, then the life of your heart goes up. The, the, how awake and, 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 and lively your heart is. This is a report, this is a hadith mentioned by Abu Naim, Al-Hakim, Al-Bayhaqi, and it's considered sahih by Al-Albani. So yes, it's an authentic hadith. So, a few last uh, concluding points inshallah ta'ala. If you pay attention to Surah An-Nur, Surah An-Nur, incredible surah, right? Every surah is incredible, but anyway, Surah An-Nur, anybody who's taking the time to actually study Surah An-Nur, it's just, it's, there's, a lot, there's, a lot to, there's a lot to unpack there. One interesting fact is that when you go through it thematically and pay attention to what the ayats are dealing with subject-wise, section by section, what you'll notice is that the first portion deals with the punishment for zina, how to deal with immodesty. Then the slander against Aisha anha from ayat 11 to 26. That is resulting from a communal immodesty. The community had a certain level of not feeling shy to talk behind uh, somebody's back. 
Then the next section talks about permission before entering the home, which is exercising modesty. Then the next portion talks about lowering the gaze, which is again, a different way of exercising modesty. So not just going in the house, but don't even look you know, through the window or anything, just lowering the gaze. So this is talking about, again, the topic of modesty. And then the next ayat from 32 to 34 talk about calling young people to marriage, saying get young people married, even to the point where if you have a slave, uh, when you, if you have a servant who doesn't have the means to get married, find a way for them. Provide them with means so that there's no fitna for them. Subhanallah. That's, that's the, you know, this concept of uh, slavery. When, don't think of American slavery. It's nothing like that. Do you think that they would provide them? No. They would you know, torture and kill and so on and so forth. Subhanallah, in Islam, it was much more like a servant, somebody that you, know, you treat well and that if you even were to hit them once, you have, to, you have to free them. So subhanallah, there's so many rights, that's a whole other topic. But still, this is what? Preemptively stopping immodesty. Because when you get people married, young people married, what are you doing? You're preemptively avoiding immodesty and them going out and committing zina and so on and so forth. And then finally, after all these topics that are related to modesty, you find what? Allah has, Allahu nur samawati wal ard. Subhanallah. Allah Ta'ala talks about ayatun nur. The whole surah is called uh, Surah An-Nur. Why? Because it's talking about the light that burns in the heart. The light that comes into the chest. How does Iman grow with, within somebody? And Allah Ta'ala is giving you the playbook. You have to deal with modesty on a communal level, and then uh, you know, a societal level, and family level, and personal level, and then deep within yourself, and your own personal, paying attention to your eyes. It goes smaller and smaller and smaller, and more detailed. Finally, this is what's going to create, this is what's going to build this light in your heart, subhanAllah. So the conclusion of that surah is what? Modesty is what causes Allah's light to shine from a person. Subhanallah. Now it's very important to note that Allah Ta'ala mentions about Himself instances of shyness and instances, instances where there's no shyness. In Allah la, la yastahi an yadriba mathalan ma'ba'udatin that indeed Allah is not shy to present the example of a mosquito or, or whatever is smaller than it. Also Allah says in Surah Ahzab, وَاللَّهُ لَا يَسْتَحِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ Allah is not shy of the truth. Right? But at the same time, Allah Ta'ala, uh, the Prophet says what? إِنَّ رَبُّكُمْ حَيِّيٌّ كَرِيمٌ يَسْتَحِي مِنْ عَبْدِهِ إِذَا رَفَعَ إِلَيْهِ يَدَيْهِ أَنْ يَرُدَّهُمَا سِفَرًا That your Lord is shy and generous when his slave raises his hands to make dua to him. He is shy to return them empty. So, Allah is not shy of the truth, but Allah is shy to return the dua unfulfilled and unanswered. Subhanallah al-Azim. Look at the beautiful things that we are learning. Now, uh, yes, I want to close because I'm basically running out of time. I do want to uh, finish with the idea that society, this is my own sort of comments, my own sort of thoughts here. Society often teaches us that your rights end where my rights begin. I'm sure you've all heard this quote before. It's a famous expression. Your rights end where my rights begin. In other words, you're allowed to swing your arms all you want, but the moment you're about to hit my face, that's where your rights end. Which is a nice notion, right? But there is embedded within it there a bit of an issue. What is the issue? The hidden assumption is that you can do anything to yourself so long as you don't harm somebody else. So that means alcohol, you can drink as much as you want. Drugs, do whatever you want as long as you don't harm other people. You want to kill yourself? There's even some societies that have assisted physician-assisted suicide, right? They say, look, if you want to take your own, you can't kill other people, but you can take your own life. If you want to in 